You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. So today, we are in the Rhythm of Grace series. We are in the Rhythm of Grace topic of confession. So my number one question is, who wants to go first? <laughs> Anybody? Um, this is a, a confession of mine. Um, you may not know this about me. I don't know if I've said it from stage yet, or stage, whatever this is. Um, I, my favorite genre of music is metal. <laughs> I'm not just saying that. Thank you. Any metal heads in here? Anybody? Yes. All right. Yeah. Actually, you're literally in a band. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, so I love metal. I don't know what it is. It just gets my blood going. It gets me just riled up. Um, there's, a, there's a band I just want to quote. Uh, they're, they're not Christians or not professed followers of Jesus. Uh, there's some salty language, and if you don't like metal, this is not the band for you. But there's some lyrics that meant a lot to me um, in this song. The band is Asking Alexandria. Uh, their song is Alone in a Room. The lyrics uh, for the chorus are, All I needed was the last thing I wanted to sit alone in a room and say it all out loud. Every moment, every second, every trespass, every awful thing, every broken dream. And then he starts screaming, which I will not do for you. <laughs> I think I appreciate someone screaming for me, uh, not screaming at you or me. But uh, again, uh, if the band's not for you, don't write it down. But um, those lyrics are really powerful for me. All right, for the author of these lyrics, this band member speaking out of a brokenness that he didn't know, he didn't know the direction. All he needed was the last thing he wanted was to be alone and just say it all loud, confess it all out. And that produced an album that's quite good. But confession is a funny word, isn't it? Right? How many people hear it and instantly you kind of feel like something bad is about to be said? Yeah? Usually it's like confession is not good, right? Church I have a confession. I really love chocolate cake, right? Does that feel kind of like a juxtaposition, right? There's also confessions of love, right? Have you thought about the word? You can confess your love, right? It's, it's much like, I know we all immediately think of, you know, the balcony scene of Act 2, Scene 2, where Juliet looks down and says, Oh, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name, or if thou wilt be, be but sworn my love, and I'll no longer be a Capulet. Romeo, I take thy, at thy word, call me but love, and I'll be new baptized. Henceforth, I never will be a Romeo. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I, yeah, thank you. All right, so like, true love, you can confess true love, right? Well, scripturally, confession is kind of simply, if I can say it in words, is the, often the out pouring of what's in the heart. Okay, it's kind of simple. The outpouring of what's in the heart. Confessing the state of the heart, right? There's confessions of faith, right? Romans 10.10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved, right? There's also proclamations of truth in confession. Mark 8.29 And Jesus asked his disciples, he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. 
After his resurrection, Jesus appears to the disciples, and we affectionately call this one disciple doubting Thomas. John 20, 27, he says to Thomas, put your finger here in his hands that were pierced with the nails and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Usually, though, confession is an admittance of wrong, right? And there's a reason for this. Jesus himself says this, Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. That's, so if it's the outpouring of your heart, <laughs> there's the things, right? Jesus at the time is showing the religious leaders it's actually what's inside a person that defiles them and the state that their heart is in, not what's on the outside, but the sickness happening on the inside. So usually when we talk about confession, it's more like this. Psalm 38, 18, I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. Or Psalm 6, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Or Psalm 31, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. So confession reveals the state of the heart. Often, the precursor to confession is conviction. Okay, there's a conviction, whether of love, you just can't hold it in, I want to shout it from the rooftops, or a conviction that breaks the walls of pride and lets out the darkness and the sickness that's within. I heard this once, that the voice of the devil and the voice of God have a similar harshness. Okay? Maybe that's not quite the right word, but a similar sternness might be a better word, right? Both call you out on your sin. Both tell you you're doing wrong and what's wrong within you. But the big difference is the conclusion, and this is how you can know. The devil will call you out, tell you you're wrong, so in conclusion, you will always be bad. You will never be accepted or loved because of what you've done. God will call you out, tell you you're wrong, so in conclusion, you are my child, I love you, let me take your sin, and let me give you life. So conviction happens, and confession is made, whether positive or negative. The way of God is not to heap shame and disengage from the community, right? It's not to just heap this, now this is what you are. God actually wants to take that and give you a new identity. In fact, Dallas Willard he categorizes this spiritual practice, or this rhythm of grace as we call it, into, and he categorizes spiritual practices into two lists. There's disciplines of abstinence, so things you're taking away or removing from your life, and then there's disciplines of engagement, uh, di spiritual disciplines that you actually engage with your community about. He says confession is an engagement practice. He writes this about this practice. Thus we let some friends in Christ know who we really are not holding back anything important, but ideally allowing complete transparency. We lay down the burden of hiding and pretending, which normally takes up such a dreadful amount of human energy. We engage and are engaged by others in the most profound depths of the soul. 
in his book, Spirit of the Disciplines. Here's the absurdity that happens in our Christian culture. We think it's very romantic to say, I'm broken, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. So we learn about and we fall in love with Jesus. We believe Jesus is this savior, and then we act like we're never going to sin again. That was it. I'm good. Nothing to see here. I found Jesus. I'm good, right? Don't get me wrong. There's forgiveness. There is a cleansing of sin, but there's still sin, isn't there? We still sin. Sin still ravages our world and our bodies and our relationships. So it's not that we won't ever sin again. It's that sin has no hold on us. There is a new king, right? It has no claim on our identity and our destiny. But if you let sin fester and it, it hides this kind of this fake kingship, it kind of fakes being king and lord of life, it fakes being in control and tells us lies that if we just cover it up in this way, or if we just do better, or don't do that thing, or think that thing, or say that thing again, we'll be okay. No one will know. In fact, it's not worth hurting others. This is on you, so you can pay for it. Here's the problem with that. Jesus never said it, right? That's not what Jesus says. That's not what the cross was meant for. That's not what it is finished means. It doesn't mean that there is more for you to do for salvation. And you're not alone in being perfect, right? Another author, Richard Foster, in his book, Celebrate the Disciplines, he talks about confession. He writes this so beautifully. Confession is a difficult discipline for us because we all too often view the believing community as a fellowship of saints before we see it as a fellowship of sinners. So as we're talking about this rule of life, lifestyle for for being the people of God and that rule of life. It's not just about rules. It's not just thou shalt confess. The rule of life is this picture in the scriptures of of a, um, a, a lattice for a vine to grow up. God is this lattice, right? And you abide in the lattice for the vine to grow in the way that he has. So in this regular rhythm, I want to suggest two things today that we as a community can practice in this rhythm of confession. The first one is I believe the people of God confess sin. People of God should confess sin, okay? Let's talk about that for a little bit. Confession is natural, right? We we shouldn't like the darkness inside. It's actually harder to hide sin. It takes so much more effort to cover up and not confess. But confession, specifically confessing sin, is the reality that you've been living on your own promises, right? I confess I I did not trust God's plan for providing this, so I, whatever, I stole this money, I thought this thought, or I did this thing, right? I took matters into my own hands and trusted in what I could promise myself, not what God promises. So confession is recognizing this, and then the repentance is returning to God's promises, removing your own promises and going to God's promises. So you could say it this way, which is a very biblical way to say it. Confession is re-covenanting. Okay, you're re-covenanting. You're coming back to the way of God, the promises of God. And there's this pattern that happens when we confess sin. There's a confession of sin, aka trusting in self, not God. Then there's repentance, turning away from self toward God in order to recommit to believing the covenant, the promises of God. Now, we, we see this pattern in Scripture. Let me tell you a few examples. Um, King Saul, 
in uh, 1 Samuel 15, when he sought to kill David and not to trust in the Lord, when he repents of it, uh, 1, Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. See, there is a returning aspect. David, in the depths of his own confessing sin, Psalm 51, he says, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Isaiah, speaking to a disheartened people, the Israelite people with an uncertain future, Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You see how confession, there's this pattern. We could go on. Confession has this pattern of reconnection to God. Right? The purpose is not just to disconnect. Again, remember the, the, the voice of the devil. The purpose isn't just to say, so now I'm gone forever. It's actually to reconnect, to re-enter relationship with God. And relationship with God is always based on who God is, not who we are. So we're always based on his promises. So if confession is reconnection, then confession is recovenanting. Okay? If we are to recovenant, we need to know the covenants of God. Okay? You guys ready for a little covenantal theology? Come on. Yes. Let's go. I like it. There's coffee over there. If you didn't, just hoot and holler. Okay? Covenant theology. Okay? I'm not an expert on this, but here are some simple things. If you want to just like say, hey, if someone said, what's the Old Testament about? I just want to know about that. I'm going to give you four names. Okay? If you can know these four names, then you know the Old Testament. Okay? Noah, Abraham, Moses, or Israel, but Moses and David, okay? Noah, Abraham, Moses, David. Let me walk through these real quick. God has established a covenant with each one of these people that is important to know before we get to Jesus. With Noah, obviously we know the story of Noah, right? There was wickedness in all the land, and every inclination of man's heart was wicked, so God floods the earth. Genesis 9, 11, he says to Noah, post-flood, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Okay, this is an unconditional promise. This is what I'm going to do. You just have to just obey it. Just that's what it is, okay? Noah doesn't have to do anything. This is going to happen. Then fast forward to Abraham. God is going to now establish a people, and he has to start somewhere. So he goes to Abram at the time, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." unconditional, I'm going to do this, okay? Fast forward to Moses. You guys know the story of Exodus. We just walked through it. It feels like for a couple years, 
Um, Exodus 19, God says to Moses, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Interestingly, this one is conditional. If you obey, I will bless you. If you disobey, there will be hardship, okay? There's a difference between conditional and unconditional covenants, right? Now, here's a quick hot take. I think most Christians' theology still lives right here. Conditional covenant of God. If I obey, I am blessed. If I disobey, I am cursed, okay? That's just a hot take. Take it for what it is. I think a lot of Christian theology stays right there. It's not done there. The last word, David, okay? 2 Samuel 7, 16. The Lord's talking to David. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Okay, there will be a king forever. Unconditional. David doesn't have to do anything. Let me summarize this in my own words. God saw a world that was broken, not in its final state, but instead of destroying it, he wants to redeem it. How? Through a people, his family. So he picks a family, and he starts with a father and begins this trajectory of growing this nation of followers, these followers that need guidelines, these rules for life, right? More of a lattice for a vine, not just rules. So he creates this healthy pathways for growth and what is going to be needed to redeem this world that he cares so much about. He will provide a king who will keep the people on this path to one day hope to be that everlasting king himself so that he would be God and they would be his people, okay? The story often then of the Old Testament covenant gets summarized as the law and the prophets. That's a phrase that happens all the time. If someone says the law and the prophets, it's kind of saying the Old Covenant, okay, or what we would say our Old Testament. Well, the story goes on. It doesn't end there. God is faithful to his people. The people are not faithful to their God. Okay, we've said that many times. You guys know that. Then Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah comes out, Jeremiah 31, and this, guys, is huge. Okay, this is really big. Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, by the way, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That's huge, okay? Now, enter the new covenant, Jesus, Emmanuel, God in the flesh with us. Matthew 1.1 literally starts out the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, okay? He is from the family of Abraham. He is an Israelite who has obeyed the law perfectly. In fact, he even taught the law perfectly, He is a king. He's of the kingly priestly line or the kingly line of David that will rule forever. And as we know, through his death, 
burial, and resurrection. He has brought the secret redemption sauce that now can remake the world. This is why Jesus can say, Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, the old covenant. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill that covenant in myself. This is why the scriptures can make the claim, Hebrews 7.22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Hebrews 9.15, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant or old covenant. Do you guys see how beautiful it is that Jesus takes all that unconditional and that conditional within himself? And because sin equals death, death was needed for man's sin. And Jesus took that place, which makes him the great mediator of the new covenant. Let me just read this. Sit in this reality. Because of that, Hebrews 9.24, this floored me this week. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true thing, but he has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. It's not because of us at all. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. That is why he says, behold, I'm making all things new. This, by the way, it's just hard to say this word without bringing this up, I do not mean this to be a commentary on any other religious practice of confession, okay? But it seems like scripturally and clearly to me and to the leadership of Hub City that Jesus is our great high priest, right? And mediator, not any man on earth. So to be clear, at Hub City, you do not need to go to a church leader to confess sin. To truly confess sin, you need to go to Jesus, Obviously, we care. We want to talk with you. We want to pray with you. We want to be in life with you. But it's Jesus alone that forgives and saves, okay? So individually, there's this confession to Christ, but then as the church, there's this fellowship of believers. And this is where confession and other practices is, is actually really, really great. We can learn a lot from, from other religious practices that make confession a regular thing because we when's the last time we just had a worship service of confession here <laughs> you know like it, that's not like a regular thing that we often do in fact this is like the fact that we have to preach on this it's not regular other religious practices do this well and do this really regularly right it's not just for our own meditation but it's for the community right james five sixteen says this therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that they may be healed right? The prayer of a righteous person has a great power as it is working. So as the community, the people of God, we confess sin. This needs to be a rhythm that marks our lives individually and as a church community together, right? Remember that the word rhythm is key because this is something that is shaping us. It's not just something that we're doing, but it's something we're allowing to shape us. And what doesn't that sound to get the state of our heart out regularly? Doesn't that sound like a healthy thing? So our hearts are in constant, daily, hourly even need of this reorientation to the promises of God. 
We need this to not just happen between us and God in private. Yes, of course, and that God is available for that, but often in our community as well. Because when we confess our sin, we need our hearts to be met with the confessions from others, and, and Jesus in that then is the freedom to be placed over that. Have you ever experienced the power of this? Right? When another follower of Jesus can meet you at your low point of confession of sin with the truth of what God says about you. This is powerful and moves us to a strong covenant people together where we are actually telling and living the story of God as a community. Another way to say this is we conf- if we confess all of it, we're confessing the darkness, the sin, but also we are confessing the light. And this is just point number two. The people of God confess Jesus. All right, people of God, if we say we're following God, we confess sin. And the people of God, we confess Jesus. So we confess sin. We confess the truth of who we believe Jesus to be as well. So when Jesus comes on the scene, God shows us that he's the mediator of this new covenant. Of course, this still gets our minds kind of like, what does that mean? And even the disciples who are with Jesus didn't quite understand it all the time. And the scriptures, there's one point where it's so confusing of, is this truly, really the Christ? I'm going to walk us through this real quick. Jesus is deep in his earthly ministry, and he has this incredible moment with his three, okay, Peter, James, and John. Mark 9, verse 2, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Who knew they had bleach back in Bible days? Did you know that? (laughs) Pretty funny. You learn something every day. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Okay. Peter is the first one to speak. I can just imagine he's just, what is happening? Jesus, Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. <laughs> like, okay, good job, Peter. Let us make three tents, these tabernacles of worship, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified, okay? So we don't know who to honor. Uh, let's hedge our bets. We'll get three. We'll just like, you're all great, you know? You're all winners. You all get a trophy, Verse 7, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. Powerful. Even in a moment where the disciples, in in the most profound and confusing way of who to worship, it was made abundantly clear to them who is Lord and Savior. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And it's this Jesus and him alone who is worthy to accept our confessions because he can bestow grace. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why would he do this over and over and over again? Because it is in his nature to set us free from unrighteousness. Right? He does not want us to stay in a state of darkness. It brings God literal joy to cleanse our sin because he loves us so much. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Never to abuse that freedom or to make it about us, but it's for him. It's for freedom to live in grace, not shame and guilt of sin. Grace is the reason it's free and freely given is because God paid 
the cost. I've always loved this quote by Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace? It said, God loves people because of who God is, not because of who we are. Now, I want to finish off today just walking through Psalm 42. I picked Psalm 42. There are, there are some passages that like just say confession all about it and just seem, but Psalm 42 to me is confession. It is the practice of it. Because here's what we need to realize. It is before the judger of hearts that we are going to come to, right? Why are we so afraid of man that we would keep sin and darkness pent up inside of us that we are even willing to go to Jesus who knows every moment, every second, every trespass, every awful thing, every broken dream? Why are we willing to do that? What's in your heart, whether darkness or light, I want this to be what the psalmist says today. Inside your heart, the state of your heart. Can you feel this? Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Longing for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Our souls long for the flowing waters of grace. In David's time, meeting with God, it was an appointed time and place to to appear before God. When, God, how long must I wait? When can I experience the waters I so crave and long for? Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. What a visceral just anguish, right? While they say to me all day long, the doubt, where is your God? Why hasn't he shown up yet? Anguish, tears of sadness. When you're too sad and depressed to even eat, hearing doubts of Maybe God's not showing up. Where is your God? Maybe he's not coming. You really did it this time. This is what David says. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, even in heartbreak. Oh, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, even in heartbreak. And he probably doesn't feel like it at the moment. That is key. It's not always going to feel good. But David remembers how I would go out with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. With glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Right? David remembers he has a rich history of these great arrivals to the temple, the celebrations of these pilgrimage festivals where people from all over would come to worship Yahweh God. He himself would be the life of the party. In fact, you can go read this second Samuel chapter six. Real briefly, the Ark of the Covenant comes to Jerusalem and David is so giddy that the Lord would bring this blessing upon them and and affirm his kingship that the king himself runs out, says he was leaping and dancing, apparently super scantily clad, offending a few people, of course, out of complete joy and worship. Now, I'm not telling you guys to go on the road (laughs) scantily clad, but that would be cool, right? Like that, that kind of joy and just like you don't, you don't even care, right? The moment of affirmation to him was a memory he is holding fast to as he is pouring out his heart, right? It's not just a feeling in the moment of like, God, I know you're true. It's to say, I remember. I remember the joy. I remember how you gripped my heart and the people around us. Do we have those memories? 
Do you have those experiences with God where you say, like, God, I just can't deny you because of this thing, this time, this thought, this thing that happened to me? What experiences should we never forget? And we need to remind ourselves of God's work in our lives and in others, too. Or maybe now is the time to start making those memories, and we have memories with each other. It's hard to have those just by yourself, but I remember what's happened in your life, what's happened in, in my friend's life, or my, my parents' life, or my wife's life. I remember that. I see God working in that. David moves on. These line, this line should be a rhythm that we ask often. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? See, the way it is written, he's not speaking to God. He's not speaking to even you and me. He's introspectively speaking to himself. He's checking his heart. My soul, the very being of me, why are you in turmoil? When's the last time you took a legitimate day off, half day, even an hour, and you just did this? Oh, my soul. What is the state of your soul? What is the state of your heart what are you wrestling with? Why am I so downcast? What is in the state of my heart right now? And to me, this is what leads to beautiful confession. Remember, just outpouring of the state of your heart. The Lord reveals to us what's in our hearts, what is holding us back from you, and this is how David concludes it. When he, he sees the darkness, why are you so in turmoil in me? He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation, and my God. His conclusion, despite maybe not feeling it, is to hope in God, to go back to God's promises of salvation and to re-covenant with him. Now listen, Hub City, we get the beauty and the pleasure of not having to wait for an appointed time or place to long for God. Our God is available today, right now right? For you, for me, there's no going home, there's no cleaning up, there's no rushing to delete internet history or shred documents or get cash out right now to pay what you owe, right? If this is true, let us sit under this truth. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is nothing too much that he can't handle. He already wanted you at your worst, he already wanted me at my worst. So if you believe and you want to be set free from that, from that shame, if we as a community want to live above reproach and blameless, today is the day. We can humbly come before our Lord. Let me remind you, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now to end, I want to tell you a really brief story that happened in my life where I experienced something of that, that was a, I'm, a, I'm an experiential learner. And this to me was just the most never-ending never relentlessness of grace picture I could have gotten. A few years ago, as a youth pastor, I, I took a group of high schoolers down to Mexico. We were on a Mexico mission trip, and it was a great trip, and we were there to support some people. It was really impactful for the high schoolers. And one of the nights we had free, and I had planned for us to go and kind of have like an introspective worship, 20, 30 minutes, just on your own, just to pray, to confess, just to, to worship in that, and then we would come back together. So we went down to this local beach of where we were staying, 
And it's Mexico, so I, for me, I, I went to the water, and the water was pleasant, you know, which is great. And um, I was there on the beach, and the water was kind of splashing in and out. And I don't know if you're like me or not, but when I have space before God, I instantly feel apologetic. I don't know if you have that, but I, like, my prayers often are like, dear God, I'm sorry. And I don't even know why. I don't even know what sometimes. Sometimes I definitely know what. But sometimes I don't know. I just feel in a state of like, oh, I'm just sorry. I'm sure I'm doing something, <laughs> you know. Well, at the time of this time, I, I was wrestling with some identity stuff, um, brokenness, recognizing brokenness and sin in my own life, stuff that was active, stuff that was just passive, just sin that just happens. And I was wrestling with this and kind of subconsciously with my foot, I was just drawing some, some symbols and I ended up writing my name. I wrote, you know, Matt. And very gently and smoothly, a wave came in, covered it, and washed it clean. And I thought, well, that was kind of, that was weird, and I wasn't really thinking about it. And so then I, like, I wrote another thing with my foot and washed it, and very gently and smoothly, a wave came in and covered it and washed it smooth again. And it hit me. It hit me in that moment, in my heart, to say, man, if that was grace, so you know what I did? I started writing down confessions, like one-word things. Sin in my life, wave came in, washed it away. Doubts in my life, washed it away. Names of people I had hurt or names of people who I felt like had hurt me, to quote the song, every moment, every second, every trespass, every awful thing, every broken dream. I spent way too long that they were actually looking for me. I was riding in the sand, and every single time, a wave gently came in and washed it away. There was nothing I could ride in that sand that the waves wouldn't accept in its endless mercy, right? For me, that moment was incredible worship and awe of God, right? David remembered the ark. For me, I remember the beach, I remember that beach and that sand. Nothing could separate me from the love of God. If God is anything like he says he is, if grace is anything like the oceans, right, no confession was too much for him to handle. And I believe that today for our community. And how I want to end today, if you're an experiential learner, great. If you're not, I apologize for the youth groupiness of this. But I actually want to play a minute or two of just waves. I just want to play waves. I want to go back to that point, right? And if you're there and I want you, and if you would take the moment and close your eyes and just allow yourself to just feel in God's presence, to feel that he is big enough to handle your worst because he did. He already did on the cross. And if you would, in, in your heart of hearts and just your mind or, or even if you want to say it out loud, if you would just confess and think about the things that are holding you back from true relationship from God and just hear those waves. Hear it as grace taking them and washing them clean. Will you play the waves and let's just sit in it for a minute.
is so good. As a community now returning to the covenant promises made perfect in Jesus, who fulfilled that Jeremiah prophecy, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I'm going to read some of these promises over you that I didn't make slides of them. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. But take heart, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's respond to that, guys. You know how we do it. We're singing songs. We're praying. We're giving of our earthly treasures to bless the community. And we are going to remember that Christ, what he did on the cross is for, for, for this, for the cleansing of sin, that we would have the freedom to be able to confess to a God who has already taken it. And it's just us letting go of it. Let me pray. Let's worship our God.